is there are two possible directions to choose from. I will almost always choose the wrong way. If there's a construction on the way to work, and I have to find another way to get there, I have been known to drive 15 minutes out of the way before I recognize that I have gone south when I really needed to go north. Even when Mary and I are visiting our family in Grand Rapids, driving on streets that I grew up driving on, Meredith will often ask me, where are you going? <laughs> because I've taken a left turn when I really need to take a right one. If I had to find my way home without the use of a smartphone or a GPS system, I'm not sure if I would ever see any of you again. <laughs> if I'd be lost somewhere in Illinois, Ohio, I'm not quite sure. Now you might not be as directionally challenged as I am when you are driving to and from home every day. But the more I reflect on my own life and on the life of my friends and family, I think we all share a common problem. When it comes to life, we don't know how to find our way. We turn left when we should go right. We point south when we should be pointing north. And if life were as forgiving as Meredith is when I turn the wrong direction, we'd be okay. But the reality is, life isn't forgiving at all. In fact, if we take a wrong turn, we are prone to fall off a cliff. And what makes things even more difficult is that unless you have some kind of greater view of life, you can't really see the entire map in front of you. If you don't have a map in front of you, how do you ever really know if you're going the right way? If the way we choose is a matter of life or death, how do we know which way is life? The book of Proverbs is about answering that question. It is a book that asks us to stop and ask directions for life. The book teaches us that there are really only two ways. One leads to life and the other leads to death. And the difficult part about this is that the only uh, is that the way to death is a lot easier for us to find. The roads have more lanes and have more access points than the way of life. But even more terrifying is the reality that more of us are on our way to death and we don't even know it. What if you were heading in the wrong direction? What if you thought you were doing well but were only fooling yourself into going further and further away from where you wanted to go? The answer to this problem in the book of Proverbs is the pursuit of wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to see the world rightly. To quote one theologian, to have wisdom is to be competent with regard to the realities of life. The one who is wise is able to see things as they are and act accordingly. According to the book of Proverbs, wisdom begins with an understanding of who God is and what he is doing so that we can discern how to live according to his design. Throughout the first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs, we are asked to sit before a great teacher who will instruct us on the way that leads to life. And yet a common theme in these opening chapters is that most of us will not listen to this teaching. 
We will hear the words, apply a few lessons, but by and large, the way of wisdom will be abandoned for our own way. Many of us might say, I've got it from here. Or, I think I can make it home, thanks very much. But what we don't realize is that our way is foolish, and it will lead us to destruction. Why do we think we can live life well without being taught the way of wisdom? Without wisdom, we are lost. Without wisdom, we find ourselves in the hands of an adulterous lover who is eager to see us destroyed. So at the end of this opening section of chapters 1 through 9, we will hear from wisdom herself. And we will see that wisdom is precious. Like a beautiful bride, she is worthy of our love. So when you look again with me to Proverbs chapters 8 and 9. Book of Proverbs chapters 8 and 9. At the end of our passage, we learn two important things about wisdom. First, she is calling out to us, and second, her words are true and more precious than anything we desire. At every place, from the heights beside the way, at the crossroads, beside the gates in front of the town, at every entrance, she is there to call out to us. Wisdom does not stay in one place, hoping that we can follow the sound of her voice until we reach her. She comes to find us at every place, moving to the major intersections where we are. It is as if she wants us to hear her everywhere we go. And that is the point. Wisdom is for everybody at every place at all times. There is never a moment where you and I can say, I have no need for wisdom. Whether we are at home with our family or in our community with friends and strangers, wisdom is there because she knows that we need her. And her cries are for all of us to hear. Look what it said in verse 4. To you, O man, I call. And my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. She offers herself to us because we are needy. We are simple and foolish without her. Without wisdom, we are without direction. Without the proper view of life that wisdom offers, you and I will toil away at nothing. We will work and play without meaning, and in the end, we will be empty of insignificance. The words that she speaks, they are true. Her lips will only say what is right, she will not utter a lie, nor will she try to corrupt what is good. But if she says, whatever she says can be trusted because she speaks truthfulness. Because she is faithful and true, she is worth more than anything you can ever desire. More lovely than silver and gold, the word says. More precious than the rarest jewel. Nothing can compare with wisdom. Wisdom first calls us to listen to her words because she is true and lovely. But why is she so lovely? What is it about wisdom that makes her so desirable? Wisdom answers this question for herself. The next part of our passage, beginning at verse 12, look as long as I read, I, wisdom, 
counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight, I have strength. By me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles, all who govern justly. I love those who love me, those who seek me, diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold. My yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness and in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me, filling their treasures. Loving wisdom means being loved by her. And her love is demonstrated by her gifts. With her are prudence, knowledge, and discretion. To have prudence is to be crafty. Not in a devious kind of way, but in a kind of way that makes the best use of our resources. To be crafty is to have problem-solving skills. A prudent person is one who is able to maneuver around problems to see the right solution. And discretion. Discretion is an ability to craft appropriate plans. It is strategic, able to see the field before the play develops. These qualities, craftiness or prudence, knowledge, and discretion, these qualities describe wisdom and are her gifts to those who love her. But it also provides insight to the kind of challenges you and I will face. Our coming and going in this world is filled with unanticipated surprises. Some of these surprises are welcome. They are the sort of blessings we weren't expecting, like a new friend or a pay raise. These surprises make us happy. But then there are other kinds of surprises. These are the ones that we didn't plan for, nor were they welcome in our life. These are the kinds of surprises like the loss of a job or the illness of a family member. We don't want these things to come about, nor can we see them coming, and yet the world sends them our way. They disrupt our plans, they disrupt our ideas of what we had intended for this life. They send us into chaos. When we draw near to wisdom, we find prudence, knowledge, and discretion. She will help us to make sense of the things that we could not anticipate. Like an Olympic ping pong player, we will have the reflexes to react to whatever spin the world gives us. Now, as we think about these things, we have to recognize that not only does wisdom anticipate what we cannot, wisdom is also a faithful judge of what is righteous and what is wicked. You see, wisdom hates evil and the habits of the wicked, their pride, their arrogance, and their crooked speech. Because she is just, she gives good counsel and insight to those who need it. Kings, princes, and nobles can govern and lead rightly because of her. Supplied by her, these rulers are acting according to their design. This is what rulers were meant to be. They were meant to uh, enact God's justice on this earth. And without wisdom, rulers are unable to do just that. They're unable to rule as God intended. Now that is true for rulers, for kings, for nobles, for princes. Isn't the same true for you and I? 
You and I are called by the King of Kings. We are his, uh, his servants. And if we are his stewards of righteousness, then you and I are to be proclaimers of justice. We are to be actors of justice. We are to pursue what is just, what is right in this world. Without wisdom, how can we ever pretend to know what is just, what is righteous? We will be without any direction, guessing at what is the right thing to do. But with, with wisdom, we can know exactly what is right. We can act as righteous people on this earth. One of the blessings of wisdom is that the love that we have for wisdom is reciprocated. Anyone who seeks after her will find her. She gives generously to those who love her. Look at verse 18. Riches and honor are with her, enduring wealth and righteousness. <coughs> inheritance to those who love me, filling their treasures. Wisdom has called out to us. She has described the blessings she provides to those who love her. And still there is something more about her that will demonstrate her infinite value to each one of us. And that is this. Before God's creation, wisdom was there with God to see and celebrate his mighty deeds. Look at the next part of our passage, beginning in verse 22, down to verse 31. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first acts of old. Ages ago I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields, for the first of the dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the sky above, when he established the fountains of the deep, and the signs of the sea its limits, so that the waters might not transgress the sea. And he marked out the foundations of the earth. And I would be not beside him, like a master workman. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world, in the mind of him, in the children of men. This description of creation and wisdom's relationship to it comes into two parts. The first part, the first half, comes to verse 26, and it describes wisdom's existence before God's work of creation. There are several important things that we have to notice in this section. First, notice that wisdom distinguishes herself from creation. She was, in verse 22, possessed by God. She does not say that she was created by God, but that she is but that she is not, she's not the first created back of God, but she was brought forth by God. Wisdom is a quality that originates with God. He did not create wisdom in the same way that he did not create love. But he brought forth the quality of wisdom from his own being. Now one reason why this is so important is that wisdom cannot be had apart from God. It belongs to his very nature, his very character. It's a quality that he extends out to us. Wisdom is not like the rest of God's creation. It comes out of God. It's not separate from God, but it is from God, something that he ministers to us. Wisdom says, I was 
Secondly, wisdom was there when God gave creation its form and order. Wisdom understands the way the world works. Like someone who takes apart a clock, she is able to see the way things tick, the way things move, and is able to understand the shape of this world. In giving us, uh, in giving the world its shape, God essentially is creating boundaries. He is creating a, a certain way of existence. It says that God created the sea and gave it its limit, and, the, and it does not transgress His command. Likewise, humanity has its limits and must heed the commands of God. If wisdom was there, seeing these things, who better to give us insight and understanding these commands than wisdom herself? Here, in this place of God's creation, there is order, there is beauty, there is justice. And here, in this place, you and I were created to flourish. You and I were created to thrive. Because that is the way that God's creation works. It was intended to work in order and beauty and justice as a part of its very fabric. If wisdom was in on the creation of this pattern, who better to help us conform to the pattern that is good? But often you and I reject God's pattern. We become fools. As one preacher puts it, foolishness is going against the pattern God put in place, which always leads to breakdown. Wisdom calls out to us. She is true and blesses those who love her. With her is knowledge, who, uh, with her is the knowledge to understand this world and our proper place in it. The question still remains, when you and I actually listen to her voice, the final section of chapter 8. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise. Do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. Whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor with the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. Her final words to us, wisdom calls us again and asks us to listen to her words. Why? Because in her instruction we find blessing. But listen carefully, church. To hear her words is to keep her ways. And it's not enough to sit before her teaching with indifference. Do not neglect them. Keep her ways, she says. In our listening, in our keeping her ways, we are blessed. We, we are blessed when we stay diligent, waiting day and night at her door, waiting to hear from her. Now this waiting day and night, this constant waiting, is difficult to shake off. It's a certain kind of, of attention to wisdom that many of us, few of us, are able to actually have. Worry that most of us are not all that eager to sit at wisdom's door, waiting for some kind of word, waiting for some kind of instruction. Yet I think this is the way it ought to be. At least that's what the word says. Remember when I was in high school and Barrett and I were first talking to one another. I remember looking forward to breaks in between classes. 
because it gave you an excuse to walk back and forth down the one hallway that we had in response, hoping for a chance to run into her. I would wait for her and, and walk back and forth, hoping that just maybe we might be walking in the same direction and she would say hi. And watching daily, waiting even at doors, locker doors, classroom doors, even if I'm not passing my own door, to wait for her. The book of Proverbs is asking us to think of wisdom in this way. You and I should be so committed to wisdom that in, at every opportunity, we will stand before her hoping for a quick word. We should be so desperate for her affection that it becomes a daily habit. Whatever we had planned, wherever we thought we needed to go, we should find ourselves eager to disrupt those plans in order to hear a word wisdom. We find wisdom, we find life and favor from God. In a reality where there are only two ways, life is not guaranteed to all of us. Life is for those who love wisdom, who desire wisdom. If we fail to find her, if we fail to look for her, we bring harm, we bring destruction on ourselves. I can't help but think of the disobedient child who refuses to listen to his parents' instructions. Don't run in the store. Don't jump on the couch. Sooner or later, the child finds out that these instructions were necessary. They run into a shopping cart. They fall off the couch and break an arm. The child, in not obeying this word and not being diligent to hear these words, brings harm to himself. The reality is that whenever you and I fail to find wisdom from God, we bring harm on ourselves. We are like the disobedient child who ignores wisdom, who ignores the call to obey God's word, and we bring injury to ourselves. The problem is, scrapes and bruises eventually heal. There is an even greater consequence to the one who disregards wisdom. The one who does not love wisdom hates wisdom. It sounds harsh, but this is the reality when we do not listen to the words of wisdom. We only have two options. Either you will love wisdom or you will hate her. She has offered herself to us. She has expressed her love for us and has shown her great work. But when we reject her, we are in effect saying, I do not love you. I hate you. If you hate her, you love death. Wisdom is so lovely. Why do we often find ourselves disregarding her? If her words are true, why do we ignore them? Perhaps it is because she is not the only woman vying for our affection. At the beginning and end of chapter 9, the teacher of Proverbs writes two poems which reveal the pull between one way, the way of wisdom, and the other, the way of folly. Look at the first poem in chapter 9, verse 1 to 6. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts and has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out young women to call from the highest places in town. 
Whoever is sinful, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, come, eat of my bread and drink of my wine that I have mixed. Leave your sinful ways and live. Walk in the way of insight. Wisdom has built a perfect place. Her seven pillars are a symbol of its size and completion. In other words, she has prepared a mansion for us. And in her perfect place, she invites us to come to her table to feast. She's already handled the meal preparation. All we have to do is come. At her table, those who are simple, you and I, we can find life and righteousness. The poem reinforces the truth of this passage. If you want to find your way in life, Listen to the voice of wisdom and invites you to come. But there was also another woman who was also calling out to us. An adulteress who pulls at us to come with her instead. Look at the verse at the beginning of verse 13. The woman's folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. It is simple that we turn here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet, and bread, even in secret, is pleasant. This woman has not prepared anything. She offers nothing, yet tries at every place to lure sin. Like a prostitute on the street, she beckons us to come. Her way is fast and easy. It takes no discipline, yet promises sweet enjoyment. Stop is little. Stolen water and bread even in secret. But she holds out the promise that it will satisfy. And she takes us by the hand and leads us along her way. But if we follow her beyond the entrance of her place, we will see that something sinister is hiding there. For in her house there is no light. As you walk toward her place, you hear what sounds like laughter, a party, but once you are inside, you realize that you have been fooled. All the guests inside are dead. No one is laughing anymore. But it is too late. Following the way that is easy, the way that ignores God, the way that places our own temporary pleasures at the center is the way to death. Verse 18 says, But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Let me ask you a question. Is your life consistent with God's work? Does all of your life reflect your love for him? As I look at my own life, I suspect many of you are like me. There are some times where we can answer, yes, my life is consistent with who God is and who God has called me to be. But then there are other times, a lot of times, when God is pushed from the center of our life and other loves begin to take hold of us. I know that God's way is good. I know that His way is best. Yet far too often, I am seduced by folly and I follow her down a path that leads to death. What are we, people who have traded life for death by God's way, to do? What are we to do when we are guilty of ignoring God's call to stop giving in to sin in our lives? 
own way leads only to a trap. We are lost trying to find our way without God. But look again at the description we find of wisdom. In the beginning, wisdom was with God. Wisdom bestows gifts on all who love her. Wisdom calls us to a table to fellowship and offers life to those who come. What does this remind you of? To whom might this personification be pointing? It's pointing to Christ. When we were lost without hope, destined for death, Jesus called out to us. He came to where we were. When the Son of God became man, he stood at the crossroads, came to the gates, and was placed at the heights along the way. When he walked among the people, he offered life. The Son of Man came that we might have life and have it abundantly. If wisdom reveals who God is, how this world works, and how we should live in it, Jesus is the ultimate personification of that wisdom. Through faith in Christ, we find life. Come and eat of my bread and drink from my cup, Jesus says. Through him, we find our way to God, leaving our simple way and finding life everlasting. Without Christ, we have no hope for living well before God. But now, we are blessed with insight, with knowledge, and are able to, by His Spirit, become the wise people God has called us to be. At the beginning of the sermon, I asked the question, if the way we choose is a matter of life or death, how do we know which way is life? The answer is, wisdom points the way. And thanks be to God, wisdom has come to us in the person of Jesus. He calls out to us, and he leads us to life. Jesus is asking us to become wise people. By following him, not trying on our own accord, not trying to find our own way, but to trust in him and to receive the gifts that he has given us. His spirit, which directs us, which guides us. We listen to the rest of this book in Proverbs, we will find instruction yet again. But you do not have to try to obey these words without the help of our God. In Jesus, you and I can faithfully obey God's call in our lives. When we fail, we fall back on Christ, asking for forgiveness, recognizing that death is no longer the trap that once was. If you want to pursue wisdom, you can. His wisdom has come to us in Jesus. He's called out to each one of us. He invites us to come. He has already made the feast for us. The sacrifice. And all Jesus says is come. Come to me and come up. Have life, life, and life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your gift to us. We thank you for your word and your direction in our lives. Father, we pray that we will be able to be a wise people. Forgive us, Lord, when we are not wise. Forgive us when we pursue our own.